words. We said two weeks ago that men uh, have 7,000 words we use a day, but women have 20,000, right? And so there's a lot of words that uh, we use. And, and sometimes we use those words to uh, cause pain and, and destruction, right? Um, words have the power to create and the power to destroy. Uh, we know that when God created the universe, what did he do? He spoke it into existence, right? He didn't snap. He didn't clap. He didn't blink his eyes. He spoke it into being. When he created man, he, he uh, put the breath of life into our lungs. And so he gave us the power to create and the power to destroy was on our breath. And so the words people use uh, against us, they impact us and they shape us. And if you remember the sign, we had all the words that were, were given to us. We, we put on the board and then we used other words to redeem those words. The, the words will determine uh, the direction we go. And so today I want to kind of piggyback on the words. And I want to talk about our voice, our, our, the voices that we have. The, the community has a voice together. The church, this church has a voice. Uh, your family members have voices. Uh, your friends have voices. Who, whose voice do you listen to, right? Who, whose uh, voice matters the most? Whose words have the most impact on you? See, everyone has opinions. Whose opinions matter the most to you? Last week, we had a guest speaker named Robert Owen, and he came to talk about impact ministries. And normally when I'm not here on a Sunday, I'll, I'll text a few people that afternoon and say, how did church go? How was it? How was the message? Last week, I didn't have to do that. People just went ahead and texted me right away and let me know how it was, you know. And, and it was, there were opinions all over the board about it. And you know what? That's great. Everyone has opinions. Um, but I didn't, uh, but, but who's, who's do we listen to? Who, who's matter the most to you? And for you and I individually as uh, believers and us collectively as a church, what people say about us, what people say about me, what do people say about this church, does, does what they say even matter? Who should we listen to? What should we be aware of? In Proverbs 15, it tells us that the, the plans fail for lack of counsel. But with many advisors, they succeed, okay? So, so who, whose opinion matters? Well, for me, I want to be honest with you. The opinion that bothers me the most is this local community. That those outside this church, the, even those outside of the, the faith, their opinion of me in this church matter to me probably the most. And so when it comes to the Grove's reputation, for me, I have to be honest, it, it comes to what people think about us. The opinions that matter the most usually are from outside these walls, outside the church, outside of Christianity. And, and maybe I'm wrong for that. But when I think about it, those are the people that I'm here for. Those are the people that Jesus came for. Those are people who are searching for hope. They're searching for something. And their opinion of me and this church is important to me. And so as we continue today in our series about who we are as a church, I think we need to look at the early church. What, what cues can we get from them? What advice does it have for our church? And so if you have a Bible, turn with me to Acts chapter 1. One of the things that's interesting to me about the reputation of the early church, that it, what it had with non-believers, is that, it was, that it's the opposite of what it is today. You see, back then, the Roman leaders were amazed at the early church, right? They were so amazed that they were even threatened by it because it was so appealing to so many people. And they were known, the church was known as people of 
the way. And so the early church had this reputation that they were people who cared about each other, provided for each other. They were more interested in what they had in common instead of what they didn't. They were people that were inclusive and not exclusive. They were people who were forgiving, not judgmental. They were people who led with love, not the law. They were people that fully lived what they believed, which means that their deed matched their creed. That doesn't sound like most churches I've experienced. What about you? Does that sound like the church that you experienced growing up? If you went out today and you asked some of your friends that don't go to church, that people that don't profess Jesus Christ, and side note, if you don't have friends that don't go to church or don't profess Jesus Christ, you need new friends. Side note. But if you were to ask them to finish this sentence, the church is all about blank. Or the church is full of blank. What would they say? Studies have shown there are two common answers that come up with, uh, that come up when these questions are asked. And to prove it, I, I sent out an email this week, and James referenced it. I sent out an email to a handful of people saying, hey, what do your non-Christian, non-church friends think about church? What would they say? How would they answer this, this, this question? And two common answers came up. One is, they're full of people who are judgmental when they shouldn't be. And two, full of hypocrites, right? You've heard it. Congratulations. Like, way to go, church. We did it, right? Now, as the Grove, we've probably contributed to this some. But even if we didn't, the fact that, that this is what our reputation is as a church, that should bother us. Because both of those answers are deeply rooted in the belief that the church doesn't do what it says is most important to them. Their deed doesn't match their creed. Their perception of the church is that we don't do what we say we believe. And in most cases, perception, what? Is reality. So what is our creed? What is the creed of the church that we're called to live? Hold Acts 1 and turn to Matthew chapter 22. Matthew 22, I'm going to read something Jesus said when he was asked this. Very familiar to you if you've been a part of this series. Verse 34. It said, hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees and the Pharisees got together, one of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart. With all your soul and with all your mind, this is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. And unfortunately, culture's perception of the church is that we have a creed that we don't live by. Now this might not be every single person you talk to, but the majority of the skeptical culture believes this. And when our lives don't match what we say we believe, we lose credibility and we lose the ability to be heard. We lose our voice. And that should concern us. If our mission as a church is to reach out to this culture, to be a light on a hill, our church must be known for a creed matching our deed. 
We have to do what we're say, we say we're about. And that's a church movement I want to be a part of. When we are no longer consumer-oriented, but a church that does what we say we're about. And that's why I love it when I meet, I meet new people on Sunday mornings here who, who said, hey, we've heard about your church, you know, right? Before it was, when I, uh, years back, it was, you know, we've heard about your church, and so we wanted to come see for ourselves, right? Like it was uh, an animal at the zoo or some kind of freak show at the circus, right? We want to hear, we heard what you're doing on Sundays, we want to see it. Now I hear things like, hey, we heard about your church and that you're doing so many great things in this community, and we want to be a part of it. We're so glad we came, and, and I love that. I, I was sitting at dinner uh, 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 in Charlotte with another family from the soccer team. We were there, and they kind of asked what I, what I do, where I, why I came here, why am I leaving here out of choice. And they said, I said, hey, you know, I came down here to work with the teenagers at the Grove Church. And they stopped and looked at each other right away. I'm like, oh, here it goes. You know, what, what's going to happen here? And they're like, we're, we've heard about you guys, and we've actually been invited to come to Easter, and I think we're going to come now to Easter. You know, and it was just the coolest thing, that you know, this moment that someone here from this church had invited them, and they've been weighing on a way, should we come? And then we met, and it was like they heard good things about us, wanted to come, and they're planning to be here in two weeks. I've also heard people say, you know, when they said, uh, well, we, 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 we were asking, we're new, to the, we're new here, and we're asking for a church. And someone said to us, well, the Grove Church would probably be one that you would like. And I always kind of wonder what they said before that would make them think that the Grove is for them. But it's awesome that people are being uh, sent this way. And I feel that our church has a decent reputation within the community. Maybe not with other churches or other church people. But I'm not worried about what they think, Right? So in Acts, the book of Acts, we're going to look at the first few verses of this. And the Acts literally were the actions of the disciples. This is the what and how of the early church, right? And there's a handful of things that the book of Acts does. And here's, here's, here's what they do in this book. First, it's historically accurate. If you match up uh, secular history with, with Acts, you'd find parallels there. There was a historical timeline of the early church. What was going on at the time, the Roman leaders that were there, the apostles, etc., right? And, and secular history does not deny the existence of a man named Jesus Christ. It's in there. The second thing it does is it shows the gospel movement from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the ends of the earth. We see where it starts. And then we see how the gospel message spreads. It's, it gets preached and it moves. Now, we know that it took a little persecution to get them out of Jerusalem, but it happened. They moved. Another thing it does, it's, it's good news to the Jews and the Gentiles, right? And this was big. Up to this point, they believed that Christianity, that Jesus was just for the Jews. But in the, books of, in the book of Acts, it starts off with Dear Theopolis. If you don't know who that is, that was a, a Roman leader at the time, a, a Gentile. And this was them writing to him saying, hey, this is about you guys. This is for you. And Gentiles were now welcomed into the church. This was a transition from the old covenant to the new covenant, the Old Testament to the New Testament, right? No longer was it about our acts that made us righteous. But what Jesus did on the cross is what makes us righteous. It was about him now. If you were to look at the world religions of the world and, and match them against Christianity, here's, here's the big difference between those, the world religions and Christianity. One is that who we claim Jesus Christ was. And the fact that Christianity has nothing to do with our righteousness but his. That our faith is about a God that pursues us. 
not us pursuing him because that just doesn't work. Next, it, it highlights the source of our strength. The Holy Spirit is unleashed in the book of Acts, right? What it means to be a Christ follower means that we're called to be holy. Any of us holy without the Holy Spirit, right? Living out the gospel message is something we can't do on our own. So loving our enemies or forgiving those that have hurt us or forgiving ourselves, those things can't be done without the power of the Holy Spirit. And one of the last things that the book of Acts does that I love is it shows how God uses broken people. This is a great reminder for us, right? These guys were not the sharpest tool in the shed, these disciples, right? None of these guys were selected by any of the other rabbis, right? And what happens, Jesus takes them with them and they, they act out of anger sometimes. They deny Christ. One of them cut the ear off a Roman soldier, right? They fell asleep when they were supposed to be praying, you know? These guys started the church, right? There's hope for us, right? So, Acts chapter 1, starting in verse 1. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven. After giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, the cross, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem. But wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the father has set by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit is on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea, Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their eyes and a cloud hid him from their sight. Verse 10, they were looking intently up into the sky as he was going when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. Church as we know hadn't existed at this point. In this, this passage, the, the, there was no church at this point. And what I want to look at here in these 11 verses are three things that Jesus focused on. Three major things that he points out in this passage. Three things that our church should be known for in our culture. The first one is our voices should announce the kingdom of God. Verse 3. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. So you got Jesus and he's like, this is it. I got 40 days left with you guys and you're going to start my church. What's important? What do I got to tell you? And so he spoke about the kingdom of God. And I can imagine it was in this form of love when he began to speak like he did in the other gospels, that the kingdom of God is like this, and the kingdom of God is like that. 
It was a key topic for Jesus in the Gospels. He talked about it all the time. It was also a key part of his prayer. He said, if you pray, pray like this. And in Luke 12, he talks about, don't worry about your life. Don't concern your your life with those things. I'm going to take care of you. Sell your possessions. Invest in my kingdom. Jesus would talk about kingdom having these, this e- eternal value to these things of the kingdom. That everything else was temporal, right? He challenges us to put our minds on kingdom things. Our voice in this community should be about announcing the kingdom of God. Instead, we would rather have people choose Jesus based on fear, right? Hellfire, damnation, turn or burn. You've heard it said, right? Nothing has worked more coercively in the church than the message of hell. You want proof? How many times as a kid did you go to the altar to get saved because you thought you were going to go to hell? And again, and again. At what point did you find the altar because you realized Jesus loves you? Let me be clear. Jesus is against hell. But Jesus doesn't send people to hell. It's nowhere in the gospel. Instead, Jesus offers us a new way to live. Jesus spoke very little about hell, but he spoke about the kingdom all the time. Nowhere in the gospel does it mention Jesus or God sending people to hell. But Jesus does warn us that living a life in such a way, we become separated from him. And that becomes our own living hell. And God offers us hope, life, liberation from hell. And so whether you believe it's a place or a state of being, Jesus is against it. And that should be the message that we tell with our voice. We need to be people that lead with love and not law. Here's a quote from a a blog that I recently read. It said, Jesus is love. Even if it came with hard words, which truth is, truth is hard sometimes. Somehow always seemed and felt like love. People were seen They were heard. They were touched. They were left with more dignity than when they started. And I'm not sure people can say the same about their encounters with most Christians. This is about treating all people like they are made by God and in the image of God. Jesus' command to love God and to love others as we would desire to be loved, that is theology too. In fact, he said it was the greatest portion of it. Our most pressing personal moral responsibility. We are losing credibility to those outside the organized Christianity, not because we're condoning sin, because when the rubber meets the road, we really don't know how to love the sinner in any way that remotely resembles Jesus or our God is love platitudes begin to ring hollow. And this is where the love of God we preach about is either clearly seen or terribly distorted. The second thing that we must do with our voices, we must admit the power of the Holy Spirit. Verse 7. He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses. We can't do this on our own. And Jesus knew this. He knew for us to do what we needed to do, what he wanted us to do, that he'd have to give us the tool to do it. And so in John 14, it talks about how he promises the Holy Spirit. 
And then in Romans 7, it talks about us as followers of Christ. We're no longer living as those under the law, but now we're living through the Spirit. And that brings freedom. It's the Spirit that changes lives, changes hearts, changes minds. And you and I, we can't just will it to happen. We can't wake up in the morning and say, you know what, today I'm going to start loving the poor. Or today I'm going to really start wanting to study the Bible more. I'm going to start praying more today. I'm just going to make it happen. I'm going to start forgiving others. We need the Holy Spirit. We're not supposed to live our lives powerless. We're not supposed to walk around defeated. The Spirit was given to all of us. And this is where we have to use our voices and send the right message. That when we see people in need, people struggling to just live life, and we ignore it because we don't want to hurt feelings or we don't want to make it uncomfortable, and we don't say things like, hey man, you can't do this anymore, you can't live like this anymore, you, you need God. We, we, we fail to acknowledge the Holy Spirit need in people's lives. Or we, we ignore our own brokenness and we say, man, we got this. I don't need God. I can get through this on my own. We have to admit with our voice that we need the Holy Spirit. And we have to tell others that they need it too. And lastly, it says our voices must declare our mission. Verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. You will be my witness in Jerusalem, Bison City, Judea, Western North Carolina, Samaria, North Carolina, ends of the earth, Guatemala, Something is going on in this church. Something more than just Sundays. Jesus is calling us to a higher mission. And if we don't get our heads out of the clouds, we might miss it. Right? Jesus sent these guys and they stood there staring into the clouds. And so we had to sit, send angels to say, wake up. You're going to miss it. We got stuff to do. Quit looking at the clouds. The book of Acts is a story of what happens when the church lives on mission. When we're focused on the kingdom. And it begins to show up here. And we lead with love. When we choose to find out what we have in common, not what makes us different. John chapter 13. Verse 34. It says, A new command I give you. Love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. The church is the church when they are known for the way we love. Heard the story, and I'm going to make it mine here. The guy would uh, uh, have this, tell the story when he would meet new people that would come to their church. And he would talk, tell the story about Church Steve and, and Broken Tammy. And here's, here's Church Steve is, is, is the best doggone member 
the church could have. Man, they serve all the time. They give, they tithe, actual 10%. They, they, they're there, they're helping, they're invested, they, they believe in the mission, they're, they're there, they're, they're awesome. And then there's Broken Tammy, and she comes in, and Broken Tammy's a, a single mom, and she has kids from a, a few fathers, and, and, she's, and she comes in, and uh, uh, Tammy, she, she, she has addictions, and she's addicted to alcohol, and she's uh, addicted to uh, men, and sex, and she's uh, just she has some issues going on, and, and she she dresses differently. She comes uh, dressing like she wants to appeal to men. Like that's how she understands uh, to be admired and loved is by the way she dresses. And she she comes in a little bit like that. And Church Steve comes up to Tammy one morning and says, "Listen, you might want to put a little more clothes on for Sundays. You're not quite dressed right for Sunday mornings, and you might want to get the smell of alcohol off your breath before you get here." I'm, I'm just saying. Here's the deal. Church Steve, you can leave. This place was for broken Tammy, all right? And I, you're, you got Jesus. You're good. You got him. You're, you're saved. Go. Because this church was designed for broken people. Our doctrine doesn't make us a church. What makes us a church is when Tammy walks through the door and she is seen as someone created in the image of God and she's loved. What makes us a church is how we love the little Guatemalan widow who actually has physical scars to tell her story of brokenness. What makes us a church is when we mop each other's floors and we take care of each other's kids and we cook meals for families in crisis. What makes us a church is when we learn to see one another as God's beloved and we speak kindness to one another. What makes us a church is how we choose love and humility over rightness. What makes us a church is when the doors of our church are as wide open as the arms of Christ. There's a difference between believing in Jesus and following Jesus. Those aren't the same things. So when we are people that seek and follow Jesus, then lives will be transformed. When we choose the way of Christ and not the way of self, when it's no longer by, uh, about me, but about Jesus, we become the church. And there's no room for people in the middle. This is how I want to close. I'm going to invite the band to join me on stage. Some people won't like this message. But Jeff, or hey Grove, what do you believe? We want to know what you believe. We want to know what you're against. The church has already wasted enough time telling culture what we stand against. It's time to start telling them what we stand for. You see, the Pharisees were so wrapped up in doctrine that they forgot how to actually love people. There's a story in Luke where Jesus, he heals this girl on the Sabbath. And the Pharisees, they say, Jesus, you're breaking the law. And they look to these people that, are, 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 that need healing. They say, come back on Monday. We have six days to do this. This is Sunday. This is our day off. And Jesus is like, you hypocrites, are you crazy? How many of you take your donkey or your horse and you, you walk them down to water on the Sabbath, but you won't let me heal somebody, this, uh, this daughter of Abraham? If you're here this morning and you don't feel like the church has loved you, I'm sorry. I hope we can change that. And I want to give you a message 
This is a message for all of you who are broken. I want to read you the words of the song. It says, Come out of sadness from wherever you've been. Come brokenhearted, let rescue begin. Come find your mercy, O sinner, come kneel. Earth has no sorrow, heaven can't heal. So lay down your burdens, lay down your shame. All who are broken, lift up your face. O wanderer, come home, you're not too far. So lay down your hurt, lay down your heart, come as you are. There's hope for the hopeless and all who have strayed. Come sit at the table, come taste the grace. There's rest for the weary, rest that endures. Earth has no sorrow that heaven can't cure. This is the message we must tell with our voice. This is the message that Jesus wants us to tell. I want to invite you to stand and as the band sings, I want to open up the altar and invite you for the first time or for the 15th time to come to find God's embrace, his love, to hear the good news that God loves you for the first time or for the hundredth time. Join me as we worship in this last song.